Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted today that we're joined by Dan Summer, who is the COO of Empire Caption Solutions. Uh, so it's just Antonio and I today. Deborah's off on, on some personal business, but um, we're delighted to have Dan with us. So Dan, um, really pleased to have you here. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we, we came on air uh, about your background. So I think it's interesting. Um, we all come to accessibility through a fairly circuitous route. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to be working in the space and, and what it is that you're, you're doing right now? Sure. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Um, yeah, we all come to accessibility from different routes and different paths. And um, I started out as a professional singer in New York and uh, also taught German and English and Latin pronunciation to singers and choirs and coaches and things like that. Um, and it was really through there that I got an interest in technology. Uh, it was around the time when Khan Academy was starting up. And so the flip the classroom thing was going on. And so uh, technology kind of, I, I became interested in tech through that. Uh, and then, you know, I, I became a, a type well transcriber, which is meaning for meaning. And uh, that's real time. It's used a lot in um, in uh, high school, undergrad, one-on-one -on -one settings where individual accommodations are needed. Um, and from there, I became more interested in accessibility, video accessibility. Uh, I got more into closed captioning for pre-recorded video. Uh, the schedule was a little bit better. You could just, you know, um, could get it done by the end of the day and feel good. And, um, you know, and from there, I, you know, the video accessibility component became really quite fascinating. Uh, things like closed captions, um, subtitling or translation, and then, you know, learning more about audio description. And so it's just, it's been a really great way to kind of keep my curiosity um, going and, uh, you know, try to help people where I can and um, figure out how to utilize technology and been doing that for about the past 10 years or so. And we're in a really exciting time. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah. kind of how I got into it. Great. So, um, yeah, I, I think yeah, I also fell into accessibility, fell into sort of playing around with speech recognition systems uh, about 20 years ago and um, fell in love with uh, the topic, but also just now at that point, it was a really optimistic time in tech. You know, I, and, and, and I have to say, I'm a lot more guarded and, and, and cautious about where technology is going now than I was then. I was hugely sort of uh, excited by, oh, tech can revolutionize inclusion. I still think it can, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. But I'm much more guarded because of you know, some of the things that have happened over recent years where, um, where we've really not thought things through too well before unleashing very powerful technologies upon society. So, um, yeah, I have a passion for using tech for, for inclusion. I think that there's so much to be excited about in the realms of speech and language where, um, you know, as someone that has been shouting at computers for decades um, with varying degrees of success, you know, the, the accuracy of speech recognition systems now is just 
phenomenal. Right? It's not perfect, right? We we you know we are supported by my clear text. They're human captioners. You know they'll they'll quickly tell you, you know that 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 humans still trump machines in in many circumstances. But that said, I've been witness to how much better this stuff has got and how much more flexible it's got with multiple speakers and uh, with no training because I I spent an awful long time reading, you know, Alice fell down the rabbit hole to IBM Firevoice and um, and the various different training scripts for Dragon Naturally Speaking. So, um, yeah, very excited about the potential for speech interfaces and, and um, quality captions everywhere because whilst humans are still better, there aren't enough qualified humans to do a good job of it. So, you know, there's there's a balance. So so tell us a bit about how you've been working, because I know we were talking about this as well, um, to balance that, you know, and play with the technology and balance that sort of quality of humans and scalability of tech. Yeah, it's it's been so interesting, like you say, to to see the progress over time. And uh, what really got me hooked um, was when IBM Watson came out and the whole Jeopardy thing, you know, and the, the level of the speech to text at that point, I think it was around 2016. I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's better than ever before. And already then I was trying to see how can we use ASR um, you know, and maybe edit the ASR. And what we found pretty quickly was that there were just so many different settings where captions need to be of a certain quality. And the ASR really was only good in a handful of them. And so um, we kind of left that for a while um, and then tried to identify or break up the captioning process to the parts where people are really well suited. So there's, you know, transcribers really love transcribing, but they don't always love the syncing portion or the breaking up of captions, you know, the, the, that part of it. Uh, and so we really tried to dive in and figure out what are the parts that are needed and then build as much technology around that so that the logistics of file handling and everything work well. Um, and yeah, what we're seeing now is I think the ASR, we were talking a little bit about Whisper before, you know, and seeing that kind of got my imagination going again on how can we better identify this time. I think you mentioned earlier, we, we maybe moved ahead or we're very tempted to move ahead and we're not always super cautious uh, about making sure that it's going to be the correct um, you know, the correct tool for the purpose. And, you know, so really understanding whether something is for general access or individual access um, or something in between uh, is super important. And um, also just kind of figuring out now um, where are human beings going, where are human captioners in either real time or post-production uh, how can we leverage that good work that they do? Because we're still, like you said, humans are really the best at handling certain things like multiple speakers, crosstalk, um, accents. Um, and uh, additionally, just making sure that um, things like environmental sounds are taken into consideration. Car horn, 
alarm beeping. You know, I, I had a student once who was in a lab, and uh, even if ASR was perfect, it wouldn't have picked up the fire alarm that was going on in the background. And so there, as great as the speech to text is, is becoming, um, you know, it's still kind of lacking in, in certain areas. But I think the challenge right now and what the biggest conversation is to really identify in a very narrow sense, where are those places where it can be used? Because like you said, there's not enough human captioners to go around for everything. Um, but we want to make sure that we're giving people quality product, you know, that's going to be usable. Um, and sometimes ASR is great in meetings where it's just one or two people. Um, you know, this is a great setting, but um, in classrooms where there's discussion going on, you know, you still need a human. Um, so I think the biggest thing we're doing right now is just kind of taking an inventory of all the kind of requests that come in, all the settings that we're working in and trying to redefine, um, you know, redefine what tools can be used where effectively. So then, you know, considering all the changes that end up taking place over the last couple of months, uh, how do you see the future of feeder accessibility services evolving to? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> if I had the, if I had a full answer, I, I, I you know, um, Anyway, I, th I think we're all looking for that that answer of how it's going to go in the future. But um, I see you know, one place in particular is, um, you know, I'm wondering if leveraging human transcription might be better suited for things like auto translation um, uh, or summarization tools. We're talking a lot about chatbots and things and the new ChatGPT and being able to give it custom data. And so, um, again, kind of identifying where that human transcript or those human captions are going to be best suited, but also then what, how can we use the, this new emerging technology to build on top of quality, quality products? And that might be, you know, for schools or classroom, uh, having the transcript go into a bot so that the student can interact with it um, in a more meaningful way after class. Um, you know, can it be translated to other languages so more people have access and the quality of that translation is better, you know, or the auto translation is better. Um, yeah, in terms of providers, can, can providers leverage these tools to train themselves better to learn how to work in contexts uh, and, and subject matters that they're unfamiliar with without having to go in cold or without having to kind of start at the bottom at the, you know, at, at the cost of the consumer? Is there more prep that providers can do? Um, are providers going to need to expand their skill sets to include more accessibility services? Um, So, yeah, I, I don't quite know exactly how everything's going to transform, you know, in terms of consumers or providers, but I think there's a lot of interesting conversations to have. And one of the great things about us all being in accessibility is we're really used to having conversations about needs and wants and desires. And uh, so we're really well poised to, to uh, engage in this right now and help move things forward in, in a way that's going to work for everybody and make sure we don't fall into too many, you know, uh, pitholes. 
No, if if you look at at you know the business model, models of uh, companies working in this space, you know, trying to balance uh, what is the right pricing model. You know, we have people who are not able. To, you know, even if if I look today to some of the technologies that are that are in the market, uh, some people are not able to afford that sixty minutes. Uh, 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 quality captions. They might do it. They might do a lot of manual work. How we are able to find the balance between having companies doing this, making money at the same time, allowing everyone to somehow be being being able to use them uh, in the right way? Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's always a question like budget, you know, and making sure that it's affordable. And yeah, human captions still cost quite a bit. Uh, even when we are able to utilize the tech, someone needs to look over it, um, refine it, whether that's a professional or someone within the organization, an employee or something. Um, I think one of the, the one of the things that might be helpful as we learn about how ASR works or the ASR tools work in different contexts, making sure that the speakers and the participants are engaging in a way that's going to optimize the ASR. So making sure that participants don't talk over each other, um, making sure you have a good microphone, um, you know, quality internet. There's certain things that we can do to prepare and um, make sure that the ASR is going to work best. And so if you are in one of those settings where you really need to use ASR, um, you know, just being aware of those considerations so that you're getting the most out of it and it's going to be, you know, most effective for everybody. Um, and then, you know, just I think a lot of times we're thrown into positions where we're, we have a certain platform and we have to use a certain ASR. We don't have a choice. Certain platforms use their own. Others give you uh, options, you know, and just so, you know, taking the time to experiment a little um, and then provide guidance to the people you're going to be working with or interacting with on that exchange. Okay. Thank you. So, yes, I mean, a lot of people, especially in enterprises, are locked into a technology stack and, and that means you're locked into choices about speech recognition, inbuilt assistive features, etc. Um, so, you know, depending on what your CIO has chosen, you know, will will actually have an impact on what features you can use. I'm I'm really interested uh, in another aspect of what you do, which is not captions, which is audio description. Oh, mm -hmm. um, so so I think that this is an area that's not so well understood. People understand captions, you know, the Gen Z and and to a certain extent, you know, um, millennials and People like me often use captions, right? Loads of people use captions, not from necessarily an accessibility point of view, but from a convenience point of view, from a lifestyle point of view. Um, so people understand captions, I think, pretty well now. Um, but audio description is, 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 you know, not as well understood. It's certainly not as well integrated into video platforms. Um, and being totally honest, as a dyslexic person producing audio descriptions and image descriptions puts me through my own disability pain barrier because I'm having to create content and use words and all the rest of it that that sometimes can be challenging or take energy. So I, I think that I'm really interested to hear about how you're applying technology to 
create audio description and then where you're applying it and in what context? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like you said, audio description is really not terribly well understood, especially uh, online. Uh, I didn't really know too much about it until a few years ago, and uh, it actually started in theaters and gap, um, uh, operas and um, plays and uh, uh, galleries and museums uh, as a way for people who are blind or have low vision to engage with the visual components of what's happening on stage or uh, in the painting or in the, um, in the gallery and things like that. Um, and then uh, it, that kind of, um, I'd call it theatrical uh, audio description started taking hold with uh, online entertainment. So uh, TV shows and films and things like that. And so most people who have seen it uh, know it through things like Netflix and the Netflix series, because they're all very good at making sure there's audio description. Um, and, but uh, when we look to more kind of casual uh, or non-theatrical settings online, uh, WCAG has a lot of requirements about it. It actually appears three times and it's super confusing if you look at it, um, you know, and <clears throat> um, so what most of the time we see is called standard audio description. And that's where the, uh, the, the film or the, the video is the same duration and in the silences or between the dialogue, you hear the narration of what's going on in the screen. Um, and things like educational videos, which are, you know, or lectures or talking head videos, there's often not a gap in the, um, in the dialogue to describe what's on screen. And if the professor or the person talking hasn't really said what's on the slide, uh, someone's missing a whole bunch of information. And so extended is where you have to go in and create a whole other version by pausing and freezing the frame and then inserting the narration. And it's the whole process is, uh, it's it's been very complicated because it involves m many people. Unlike captioning where you can do it with one person if you want, uh, or you can break it up, um, it's very rare to find someone who is uh, equipped to do the script writing, the narration, and then the video editing. Um, so those have been kind of the challenges, just the, the logistical challenges, but um, where we can see uh, where there's some really useful um, uh, advances with AI and um, audio description are actually using Whisper. Um, there was there's a uh, research project going on at Oxford, and they took Whisper, uh, and they reviewed seven thousand something you know videos with audio description, and they were able to tag where the speakers were, um, tag where the audio description was, and combine. What well, what I found so interesting was that they used the context from the Whisper transcripts. Um, in order to inform where um, where there could be 
audio description narration and then provided notes on what are the key components and what's going to be helpful to um, to include. And that aspect of audio description creation has also been very time consuming, going through, you know, three or four times to get a sense of what's going to be most meaningful. Where can you put um, where, where should you be putting in audio description narration? And um, using context, you can speed up this process quite a bit. It's, it's not meant to replace the process or automate it uh, completely, but it can do about 50 to 60% of the heavy lifting. Um, and so that's been an interesting place where AI um, and speech to text paired with, um, you know, context, um, being able to come up with context and understand context, um, has been super helpful. It's very promising. It's still kind of in research phase. Um, but that's, you know, where I think it's going to be super helpful. And then also, um, just being able, I think, to create, um, more accessible media players, media players that support, audio description. That's been another challenge is just the technology aspect. Um, and in many ways, it's just, it's pretty straightforward. It's overlaying audio in different places and having it play at the right time. Um, but, you know, we now have tools, um, you know, that can help with the um, dis distribution uh, and rendering of the audio description as well. Yeah. So, so I, I does sound really good that that research project um because understanding context is, is is really important you know it's it's all very well to describe what a room looks like but it's the context that really makes it meaningful one of the other challenges i think you just alluded to it was that, that lots of the platforms don't support ad so right. you've got uh you've got on-demand players like iplayer and netflix and so on and they support audio description but but a lot of the online platforms don't or even if they do support it, it's challenging for individuals to be able to to upload it or to to uh, to know how to create that separate audio description track rather than you know if they're doing extended audio description or if they want people to be able to toggle it on and off. So so I think there's still quite a bit of of work to be done there. Are there um, particular players or platforms that you think are doing this well right now? Um, it, it is a challenge. Um, and yeah, I think uh, YouTube recently allowed for a secondary video to be uploaded. Um, Wistia um, allows for a secondary audio track to be uploaded. And this is also, I think, part of the issue. There's no standards on what is the final output. And so if you're going to load it to YouTube, that's great, but then you have to create a whole new video. If you're going to load it to Wistia, you just need to upload a secondary audio track, you know, similar to dubbing, you know, or voiceovers. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, I, I believe um, Vimeo also supports it. There's a lot of players that support it one way or the other, but I think the biggest challenge is what you mentioned is that there's really no standards for the workflow and there's not, um, there's really not enough training um, for video online. There's tons and tons of training for, you know, theater and live settings and entertainment. Um, 
you know, Netflix and Amazon and all of them have their own internal workflows, um, but they're also not compatible <laughs> with, with each other. So I think part of the issue is just standardizing that, giving people more tools so that they can do things by themselves, um, you know, make, make uh, audio description outputs more easily. And that's also something I've been playing around with and working with some some colleagues on on how we can how we can support that and what tools we need to create uh, to do that. Um, so it's it's a combination of you know style guides, uh, best practices, and then just the technology and the workflow to support uh, support that and give people training on the different aspects of that. No, that that, that part is at the moment in. In the way our, our platforms are working today, if I want to upload a video and if I want to have it available on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever, I almost need to have 15 videos. Correct. One for each. So, uh, and it's it's not possible to manage all that. You know, you are going to do a mistake somewhere, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and, you know, and even if you are trying to make your videos accessible as possible, it's 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 not just not practical. You, you you basically can't do it. And then on the top of that, you have something else: is that every platform wants to keep users on their platform. Correct. So if you post a link from a platform that is accessible on another, the algorithm of that platform is going is go, is not going is going to give a, a few extra points in the algorithm than if you are posting natively. So it's very. No, it's a, a very complicated sit- situation that, in, in fact, is not helping those who need to watch and consume the content. Yeah, that's a great point. And, yeah, I think, I, I don't know um, how much this is considered, but, yeah, like what you said, you have to have different versions of it and you have to send people to different places. And that is kind of an SEO nightmare if you are trying to monetize, you know, your content and you know, you have to have separate videos. It doesn't give you a real good overview uh, of who's engaging and you have to look in a lot of different places. So, you know, hopefully, I think that's also why YouTube uh, created that because even though it's a secondary video, you can click a button and it's still associated with that video. Um, and, and same with Wistia and the other platforms I mentioned. But yeah, a lot of times if the platform doesn't support it, you're creating a whole bunch of videos and it's just a big, big mess. Uh, it's, it's difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, and, and, and that, that then becomes you know, an issue and, it, and, it, and a reason for people to push back. Yep. Because uh, you know, we, we like to say, well, you know, accessibility is not difficult. You know, all you need to do is this, create the 15 videos and the 16 <laughs> different transcripts and upload them to this 43 different sites. Yep. And, you know, yep. if you're, even if you're the most committed enterprise <clears throat> in the world with the biggest, deepest pockets, it's still going to be difficult to do all of that stuff, you're still going to be challenged for resources. So I think we need to be mindful before we go and chastise people for not being fully accessible um, on on some of these things that actually, you know, dependent on platform or choices or time or their own 
knowledge or abilities that you know what we're asking for may be beyond their capabilities or their uh, or the the affordability or, or just they don't have all of the time to do this. Now I'm as an accessibility person, me making excuses for people not being accessible sticks in the throat a little. Um, <laughs> But but we also you know we need to be pragmatic and we need to be realistic when we're advocating for this stuff. So so that's where standardisation comes in. And yeah, and we do need that sort of agreed workflow or agreed way of doing things. Now standards take a long time, and you know standard yep. bodies are interesting beasts. To, and you know um, and and also often. Those standards aren't, um, you know, necessarily easy for lay people to understand. So if we want, you know, you know, mass media and you know, citizen journalism and all of those good things that the internet's enabled to be accessible. Then we really need to sort of rethink some of this stuff, and maybe, you know, some of the new technologies that are emerging right now can help us with that. You, you, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think um, it, it, providing audio description right now is a challenge in many ways. Even if you have all the tools and you, the skills, it's time consuming. And if you don't, it's very expensive. Um, and what I think is interesting is kind of looking back at the history of closed captioning, we can learn a lot. Um, back, It started back in the 70s. Yeah, um, Julia Child's uh, baking or cooking show was the first to have open captions in 1972 or 73. And from there, it wasn't until the early 80s where there was a standardization of the equipment used or, you know, for broadcast television and broadcast captioning. Um, and then, you know, as time went on and internet became a thing, you know, captions are still very expensive to produce, but at a certain point they were, you know, spending $600 for captions for a one hour TV program is a small drop in the budget, you know, for a television show. But when you're a professor, uh, you have to make your own lectures and things that's $600 an hour is cost prohibitive. And so over, I think the past, you know, two decades or so, we've we've standardized a lot of captioning on the web. We've provided more tools to make it accessible to non-professionals. Um, and, um, you know, I think we can learn a lot from that process in the captioning as we go forward with the audio description and seeing, you know, and, and I think more people are willing to have a conversation about standards. Everyone is of course going to have their opinion, and that's kind of what takes the the longest to sort through. Um, but I think there's just so much that we can learn from what's happened in the past with captioning as we move forward with audio description, and that makes me really hopeful. And I hope that we can maybe do that in a shorter time than the few decades it took to standardize captioning. <laughs> and we still disagree on that. You know, there's still lots of lots of thoughts on how that should be done. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I think that yeah, generally with the acceleration of adoption of technologies and processes and everything else, yeah, so am I. So thank, <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much, Dan. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I, I really look forward to continuing the conversation on social media. Um, need to thank Amazon and my Clear Text for keeping us on air and keeping us captioned and accessible. 
So um, thank you once again. And uh, it's been great. Forward. Thank you. Thanks for having me.